Welcome to another episode of Mentor Moments, where we get a glimpse into the life of everyday women who are making the world brighter by receiving light, magnifying light, and sharing light in their own special ways. I want to introduce Dana Ellsworth. Dana is a mentor to me as a master gardener both of physical plants in the gardening and our sisterhood in nourishing and growing our souls together. And we're going to have Dana tell us about what it means to be a master gardener. Welcome, Dana. Thank you. Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself first? Uh, I'm a mom. I'm a wife. I'm a gardener. I am a trier. I'm a follower of Christ. I love that. All those things. And Dana lives in Texas. I do. Yeah. But but also claims Michigan (laughs) as home, huh? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I live in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and I currently have one, two, three, four, four young people at home and a husband. But I have parented eight. And and fostered a few too. <laughs> fostered a few, took in a few strays along the way. <laughs> so, okay. and loved people. Yeah, loved people. So I became a, a master gardener in between babies. I was, um, I had had my first three and then I had a pause and we moved and I was like, I have to do something else besides babies and homeschool. I think we're going to be a little crazy. So I took the master gardener class that was offered through the Michigan State Extension Service in Wayne County in Detroit. And at the time, um, it was a either, a, I can't remember if it was a 12 or a 16 week course, but every single week you would have pages to read. And they gave you at the beginning, and the cost of the class was around $200, but they would give you all the materials, but it was a six inch binder of materials. And so one week we would read about trees and one week we'd read about grasses and one week we read read about soil. And, And there was only one week they talked about vegetables, but they talked about flowers way more. And I was never quite the flower girl. I like flowers, but... I like eating tomato sandwiches way more. So I like vegetables. (laughs) And in the, in the process of becoming a master gardener, it it was exhilarating. It was really um, nice to meet new people and to, I did missionary work there. They knew who I was and what I was about. And that, and um, I eventually became what's called an advanced master gardener through the hours of service that I did through a contain. I was an online instructor before online instructors really were a thing. (laughs) So back in 2004, 2005, I taught a container gardening class and uh, helped people work through how to make container gardens pretty with composition and how to build them basically what kind of pot you use, what kind of soil you use, what kind of plants you use, what plants drape, what plants stand erect, what ones bloom. And I became an advanced master gardener in container gardening. So that really helped in my ability to garden here in Texas. 
So I'm originally from Michigan and Michigan, Michigan gardening is glorious compared to Texas gardening because here in Texas, we are on poor soil. <laughs> if you dig the soil in the area of Michigan where I is, it was in under the grass, there's dark brown, glorious soil that has all these nutrients in it. And I come here to Texas and you put a shovel in and you run into limestone and clay. So I use containers to build my garden here in Texas because I can control the soil and the amount of water that every container gets. So here I grow vegetables on hoops and trellises with supports and they're beautiful, but I really want the tomato. <laughs> <laughs> You made a comment before we share the story about picking your husband up. Yes, I was picking my husband up from a conference and um, I, my, my husband had not sent me any sort of thank you. And I had to pick him up at, uh, at a nursery, a plant nursery. And I, and the name of the plant nursery here in the Dallas area is Callaway's. And so he sent me a text tonight and he said, yep, 45 minutes to Callaway's. That's how long it was going to take to get to where I was. And I was already there. He was stuck waiting at the airport for a ride. And I said, if I'm not in the car, my husband is buying me flowers inside of Callaway's or <laughs> tomato plants. It's hard to know which one this time of year is prettier. <laughs> I love that. Sometimes it's hard to know which is more beautiful, the, the flowers or the tomato plants. Yeah, because, you know, plants are beautiful to you, Dana. Well, sometimes it's harder to know which is prettier having, having a daisy or having a tomato, you know, a fresh, warm tomato. Everybody who's ever had one knows the joy of a fresh, warm tomato and the anticipation of growing one is sort of glorious. And it's <laughs> it really so different out of the garden than out of the grocery store. They sure do. It's a completely yeah. different beast. So there's an anticipation of the fruits of your growth that is absolutely what mm -hmm. makes it beautiful. Yep, it is. Love it. Well, here at Grow in the Lights, we are going to talk a lot about growth. And that's why I love the experience you have as a master gardener. What what have you learned about growth as a master gardener, as we talk about the metaphor of growth in our lives with us as the plants, what have you learned um, about your own journey through the master gardening journey? I, and I did not anticipate this, to be quite honest. It sort of just took me by surprise. I went through the master gardener course and in learning everything, you're absorbing everything you're learning and you're learning about agricultural and you're learning about bloom times and you're learning about grafting and you're losing, learning about digging and, and nutrients and everything um, that goes along with plants. And it's not quite, you know, being a farmer that plants year after year and they understand the cycle and they do the same thing year after year because I wasn't there yet. But after several years of gardening, I understood way more about the scriptures and what Christ was saying because he lived in an agrarian society and I was having an agrarian experience. I'm not necessarily in an agrarian society because I live in the suburbs, 
but I understood the allegories so much better. So, so much better. I understood the ins and the outs about why you would want to be grafted and what you would have to do to make that work. And I understood the ins and the outs more about dunging and, and digging out the roots and everything that went along with, with Christ and when he used um, plants as part of his allegories and parables. That's beautiful. Is there a specific one? that was meaningful for you personally? Well, for me, actually, um, the one in the Book of Mormon where the poor being planted in a poor part of the orchard. I can see the connection there with the kinds of soil you were talking about. Yes, with the kinds of soil I was talking about, but also because I'm a convert that joined and I was in a poor part of the orchard and still joined the church. And um, knowing that just because I was put in a poor part of the orchard, I didn't have any less value. I was still very important to our heavenly father. So for me that it was very impactful that way. And knowing that if you're planted in a poor part of the orchard, you're not lesser than you're just have a different role. I love that. And that you're not forgotten. The Lord knew exactly where each. Yeah. Each one was. One was. Yes. That's beautiful. Dana, tell me about fertilizer. You and I have talked about this before, and I think that that is a, a significant component of the growth principles we'll talk about here. What can you teach us about fertilizer and growth? Okay, so when you go to the store, because we're going to go to the store because we're not going to have wood ashes or coffee grounds or horse manure or chicken manure, or we, we're just going to go to the store. And it makes it a little bit more sterile. But if you want to be a little bit more natural, you got a little bit more research to do about knowing which which compound to use and how it affects your plant growth. But when you go to the store and you look at the pack packets, you, there's going to be a um, a rating on there, and it's going to be like 10-10-10, 20-20-20, 13-13-13, and the numbers can change. They don't all have to be the same. It can be five dash 10 dash zero, but there's three numbers and the three numbers represent the compounds, nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium. Each one of them brings a different part of growth to the plant. So if you have a plant that you want it to be really super leafy, you feed it more nitrogen. Nitrogen makes top growth on a plant. It makes the leaves grow. So if you want more growth in your grass, you feed it nitrogen because you're not trying to make, have it make a fruit. You're not trying to have it make a root. You just want, want that green, luscious growth. So if I was growing so, lettuce, it would need more nitrogen. Yes, more nitrogen. Uh-huh. Because you're not trying to get it to fruit. So when you have a plant... And, in, and we're talking about gardening here. Vegetables that actually produce a fruit off the vine need more sun and need more ideal fertilizer requirements. So nitrogen is for leaves. Potassium and phosphorus are, uh, potassium specifically has more root growth. So like if you're going to grow potatoes and you feed it a bunch of nitrogen, you'll have a whole bunch of top growth, but you won't have any root growth. So Your if you- Potatoes themselves will be scrawny. 
right. Your potatoes themselves may not even develop because they don't have the correct nutrients. So when you put some potassium in the, in the soil with the potatoes, then the potatoes are going to be able to grow underneath the ground because they have enough nutrient to be able to, to do that. Then phosphorus it is a sort of a, a multivitamin. And so when you are growing plants at the beginning, they're a little bit more nitrogen heavy because you want them to get as many leaves as you possibly can so that they can grow the vine to make the flower, to make the fruit, to grow the fruit. Because that helps them have more surface area to photosynthesize mm -hmm. and use right. the energy from the sun. The and get more energy from the sun. In the sun. Yes. Right. But if you only do that, then you will only have leaf growth and top growth and potentially no fruit growth. So, so tell me more about phosphorus. What did you say phosphorus does? It's sort of like a multivitamin. They need it for both top and bottom growth. And when you apply all of these things in the proper ratios, plants flourish. So if I took a plant right now and put it in my container and all I did was ever water it, I, may, I might get like, oh, two, three tomatoes, right? But if I take that plant, put it in the same container, water it and fertilize it correctly, I will get 50 pounds of tomatoes off of it. So it makes a big difference fertilizing the plant and what actually is the outcome, the fruits of your labor. I love that. That's mm. such a metaphor for our personal growth, right? right? If we just leave our personal growth to chance, we will still have growth. There will still be three tomatoes. Right. But if we are aware of what our needs are and how, as daughters of God, we have those needs and those needs can be provided for, it's just like fertilizing our souls. Right. We can produce a lot more. And it's a natural process, right? It's right. not any more taxing to the plant. It's just no. giving the plant what it needs as it unfolds genetically encoded to, to grow tomatoes, to grow leaves, to grow roots, to support. Right. And to make it even just a little bit more, more nuanced, there are micronutrients that aren't needed in the same amounts as the nitrogen, phosphorus, and, and potassium, but they make a big, big difference in how your plants grow. And that one was found um, found by Jacob Mitleider. It's a, a gardening, um, he's a gardening guru. And if you have just enough borax or copper or all these other minute elements that your plants need, they flourish. They, they go crazy. They are literally, you are able to feed others if you have the correct micronutrients. Because when I was doing my garden, in Michigan and I had the correct micronutrients, I was pulling bell peppers off by the five gallon bucket. My family does not like bell peppers that much, but I was able to feed others with what we were able to do when we had the correct nutrients in our soil. And so with those micronutrients, you just need a minimal amount. But minimal being aware amount. of that and being able to provide that 
multiplies the efficiency or multiplies yes. the, the fruit production on this. The system. fruit production, yes. Mm -hmm. So the general fertilizer that you were talking about, the nitrogen, potassium, and phosphorus, those are the macronutrients. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The basic essential ones for all living things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then different. So do different plants need different micronutrients? Um, yes, they do because of how they grow and how they set fruit. But if you have a general overall micronutrient, it's, it's normally pretty balanced because when we're talking micronutrients here, we're talking micro micronutrients, you know, like grains of salt versus a cup of sugar, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. It, it, um, so when they're made, they're made in bulk. When you get these micronutrient packets, they're made in bulk because you can only get the chemicals in bulk. And so they make up the mix and then they sell it in little itty bitty packets, like two by three envelopes that you add to 25 pounds of nitrogen, potassium and phosphorus. And you mix that up with a little bit of Epsom salt and you get the correct nutrient ratio for your plants. That little bit can make all the difference. And that I love that. Bit. And mm -hmm. as we continue to have the discussions here at Growing the Light, there are some things, boundaries and self-care that are, that are macronutrients that everybody yes. needs consistently. And there are a lot of things that are micronutrients, yes. but the awareness of that helps us flourish right. in different ways. Right. And there are some times when, like if you're growing potatoes, you're going to put that potassium in the, in the dirt when you plant the potato and it's going to release over time right? The fertilizer is not going to all dissolve at once and just disappear. It's going to be released slowly over time. Yeah. So how would something different, like a raspberry plant, be different? We love to grow raspberries for years and years and years. How, how would a raspberry plant need to be nourished differently than a potato plant? Well, a raspberry plant is setting a fruit above ground. So you're going to need more nitrogen and more phosphorus and not necessarily as much potassium because you're not doing something underground. If you want more root growth, like if you're planting brand new raspberries, then you're going to want root growth. So it, the plant establishes itself, but then you're going to pull back on that. You have different times and seasons for different, if because we're talking about a raspberry here is a perennial. So it's going to stay in place. When you plant a raspberry, you're trying to plant a raspberry for years years and years, you're, you're building a raspberry hedge or a patch and you have to, it has to grow for the first year. And then normally on the second year, you can start picking fruit, but a raspberry plant is not a potato plant. A potato plant gets pulled out and it dies after it, you, you pick the potatoes, raspberry plants, you're keeping them in place. They're going to have to be nitrogen fertilized, but they're also going to have to be pruned because you have to take the old canes off of the raspberry plant for the next growth to happen. And so right? different in all those different seasons. It's, what it's completely different. Raspberries, they fruit on certain canes, like they'll put up canes. That's what the stock is called, a cane. And they'll fruit on one-year-old or two-year-old canes. But then that cane doesn't produce as much. So it has to be pruned off so that the next cane can grow and then provide the fruit for the next season. So 
I love this. What what role does pruning have in our lives, metaphorically? Oh my gosh, pruning. <laughs> <laughs> oh, pruning, pruning. Okay, so sometimes right now in in Texas we have what are called crepe myrtle trees, and crepe myrtles are a blooming tree, but in February many people cut all the top growth off of these trees every single year. So like before, right now, we're just starting to set our leaves here, but the, all the all the crepe myrtles look like sticks sticking out of the ground if they've been pruned, just plain sticks, because they've been pruned back so hard so that they will provide blossoms this summer that they take off everything but the main stick. Wow. Now, you also do that with grapes. Grapes, you you put them in ground, they grow, and you have to cut back about, if I remember correctly, at least half of the growth from the last year. You cut back and sometimes more so that that vine will have enough vigor to regrow and set off new, new growth for the next year. I even prune my tomato plants. I pick off the unnecessary growth so that the plant will have enough vigor to set fruit every year. I trim off the little sucker. They're called suckers. And pruning is essential for good fruit production, especially when you have like a raspberry or a grape, even an apple, a peach, a pear. My 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 one of my good friends in Michigan, she has two Bartlett pear trees. And the years that she cuts them back hard are the years we ended up canning 1,200 pounds of pears because these trees had such good growth that they and took down the tops that it set a bunch of flowers and, and flowered and set fruit, set fruit for 1,200 pounds. But every year, she if she cuts it back hard, she ends up with that much pears. Which seems like metaphorically, it seems like such an irony in our lives that that when we cut back our activities or involvement, or when the Lord through or when experience cuts back our abilities, right? Yeah, that those times can be very challenging, and yet those can also be the times that we experience the most most growth. Yeah, and bear the most fruit and have the greatest impact. Right. In and if you understand, area. if you understand gardening, you can see that it's been sort of like a buffer for me with some of the prunings that Heavenly Father has given for me, because I know eventually the growth and the fruit will happen. It, it helps me with, with faith that it will happen. If it happens with plants, it will happen with me. That's a hard step to take sometimes, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's a hard step. But um, Heavenly Father has pruned my life several times, and I'm sure he's going to continue to prune me as I go throughout my life. And he takes things that I think are important, and he says, no, not right now. And he cuts them back. And we have all experienced that. It's just whether or not you're going to experience it and, and have enough faith to not be angry about it. Do you have an experience that you would be willing to share with us? Oh, well, <laughs> when I was pregnant with my sixth kid, my health went down the drain. I developed conditions called iritis, 
it's this it's a inflammation of the colored part of your eyes and so that is normally um it's an autoimmune problem and um, by the time we got that sixth baby to term i ha had uh, already had a bell's palsy they thought i was having a stroke and by the time we got her to delivery <clears throat> obviously there was preeclampsia and high blood pressure and diabetes like everything that could go wrong went wrong with that pregnancy it was like god saying oh, you're done and by the time i got her though i had full-blown autoimmune disease and I literally sat on the recliner for six months holding a baby and did nothing else, nothing for the other five children that were in my life. And he, at that point, uh, started changing my roles and taking away identities that I had clung to and thought were, were who I was. And he totally changed all of that. He changed, um, I was gardening a quarter acre back then. I was canning everything. I was, you know, we had chickens and a five acre farm and I got so sick that we just couldn't do it anymore. And it was a hunt for a number of years to find out what was wrong with mom and, um, my identity as the really active homeschool mom that was really super involved was stripped from me. We ended up having the kids in public school, but at the same time, uh, all those things were taken from me and I thought I was going to crumble and, and just cry forever. He started giving me blessings and the blessings weren't necessarily through me, but they were for my family. By the time we got the kids into the place where we could put them in school, my younger three were diagnosed as being profoundly dyslexic and we were in a space and we had been told to move and Heavenly Father made a way for all of their educational needs to be met. All of them. He made a way that Isaac, um, my, let's say Isaac was like eight at that time. He had special dyslexia services that were literally a mile and a half down the road you know, and a charter school that they went to half days instead of being plunked into the Texas school system where there's 3,000 kids in a high school. We had a charter school that was three miles down the road. So all the kids that were homeschooling got to make these transitions really easily in smaller classes and excel. And Isaac had all the dyslexia services he need, needed. So even and, in that great time of pruning, your needs were provided for and your children's needs and my children's needs were provided for. for and we had miracles we had miracles along the way that you know halfway through this process the dyslexia center decided they were going to close and i knew that isaac really needed to finish this program that he had done and um i don't know if most people know but just really good dyslexia services run about a thousand dollars a month and we just were not in a space where we could afford that a thousand dollars a month. So, um, then of course the email came on a Friday afternoon from the dyslexia center saying, we're going to be closing. And of course they sent it at like five 30 thinking, every, you know, hitting that Friday afternoon window. 
and nobody's going to be yelling at us until Monday. So we're taking a couple days, you know, kind of thing. And I got the email and I knew at that moment I couldn't rely on my, my husband. He was in finals. He was working on his master's. And I hit my knees and I said, Heavenly Father, you're the only one who can do this. You know this child's needs. You know this child's potential. You know our finances. You know we can't do this. And please, I'm giving it to you. Please make a miracle happen for Isaac. And within a week, the school had hired a private tutor to finish all of his dyslexia services. And it was paid for by the school. Oh, wow. And I have been able to take that experience and tell my son, God has a plan for you. And it may not have been the plan that we thought we were going to be. It may not be the way mom and dad thought it was going to be, but it's going to be the way God wants it to be. So, yeah, I lived in a rental. I didn't have a garden, but I still had all the, the knowledge that came from being a gardener and doing and being in that space and then being able to understand about grafting and nutrients and all the allegories that are that are in the scriptures are more meaningful to me now because I understand what they're really talking about. I, you know, it's like when you talk with your husband and if he's a mechanic that he has his own lingo, right? His vocabulary. His vocabulary. And I had all the vocabulary now for gardening an agrarian, more agrarian style life to understand what the savior and the parables and the scriptures have. Well, I love that you've shared some of that with us today, Dana, that vocabulary as we are growing and are grow growing in learning how to grow, that we will adopt that vocabulary and be able to understand some of these macronutrient issues and micronutrient issues. And I'm sure that we'll have you back a lot to talk more about different aspects of growth and, and how that applies to our growth in the gospel and our growth as women and our growth when we are pruned. I think that's an experience you've shared that, that though the details are different, that's very common to women, it, yeah. to, to all of God's children, right? Is that we have experiences that we didn't anticipate. So what can we do to foster growth Wherever we are, in whatever season we are, with however we've been pruned, mm -hmm. there's still growth possible. There is. There is. Um, well, thank you, Dana. I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here. But if you were to sum up your thoughts about, about growth, how would you sum that up for our listeners? Sum it up. Keep on trying. And... If you don't understand that God is on your side and he's doing this all for your own good, get a testimony of that. Find out that God's really on your side. Then you'll be able to handle almost anything. That's a beautiful, Dana. And that shows your own testimony of growth and of the process that the Lord continues to work in your life. I'm grateful mm -hmm. for you sharing that with me for all that you've taught me as a growth well, mentor. Thank you. This has been your host, Emily Layton, talking with Dana Ellsworth about her experience as a master gardener and how that has enriched and enlightened her understanding of the parables in the scriptures and the process of growth and pruning necessary for all of us. I hope you found something to help nourish you this week in your journey to grow in the light.